And a lot of strategy is being focused around this area, which makes sense because if you're losing money on the first sale or you're breaking even, then you need to realize those profits when a customer returns. And for a lot of brands, the biggest point of leverage in their business is figuring out how to turn those single buyers into repeat buyers. So that generally happens within the first 90 days within most e-commerce businesses, depending on obviously what you're selling. Welcome to a new episode of the No Hacks Show, a weekly podcast where your hosts Slobodan and me, Catherine, are joined by smart guests to discuss different ways you can optimize your online presence. Today, I'm excited to be talking about customer retention, why the first 30 days post-purchase is crucial, and how you can maximize traffic through email. Sharing his proven framework is a second-time No Hacks marketing guest, co-founder of Magnet Monster, He's created retention strategies for over 150 e-commerce brands on Clavio, Adam Kitchen. Adam, glad to have you back. Great to be back. Thank you for the nice introduction. And before we dive deep into customer retention, because you just recently visited Japan, are you team sushi, ramen, or curry? Which was one of the best one you've tried in your latest trip? For me, it's it's got to be sushi. I like things that are very pure and high quality and I and fresh sushi. right yeah unfortunately my partner is not a big fan of uh, raw fish but I, I think sushi is art personally I love all Japanese foods did you go to those like very small fancier restaurants where there's a long line and it's just serving pure sushi Yes, I we we didn't we go did. to a huge amount of sushi places actually, but we went to like quite a fancy place in Osaka, and mm -hmm. the chef was extremely nice. You know, a traditional sushi place only holds six people, and I tried to leave a tip afterwards. And for those who know about Japanese culture, they basically don't accept tips, and it really freaked them out. Oh. But I was so happy with the quality <laughs> of the meal. Uh, I just insisted that they take the tip. <laughs> so that was uh -huh. the experience there. Oh, I didn't know that. And I'm from the same continent. I didn't know they didn't accept tips. That's, yeah. that's new. Not like the US. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. Well, it's a tipping country. <laughs> Great. So a good way to kick off this conversation, I think, is to mention one LinkedIn post that he did recently. He said the biggest area of growth and profitability for most DTC brands with email is focusing on turning one-time buyers into repeat buyers. So does this mean that with your experience, brands often overlook this area where it seems like, you know, it's pretty much common sense that you want to turn first-time buyers into repeat customers. Can you elaborate? Yes. So I think if you look at the advertising landscape at the moment, it's pretty well documented. I'm not going to flog a dead horse. The, it's a very tricky game now, and it's more expensive than ever to be profitable on the first sale. So leveraging your most profitable channels post-purchase, email, SMS, etc., is critically important. And there's a lot of brands who actually can't survive without maximizing that lifetime value over a period of 60, 90 days just to sustain their acquisition strategy. So 
people are really drilling down now and looking at these cohorts. So they're looking at how much it costs to acquire someone, what product they came through on, and whether they're most likely to repurchase. And a lot of strategy is being focused around this area, which makes sense because if you're losing money on the first sale or you're breaking even, then you need to realize those profits when a customer returns. And for a lot of brands, the biggest point of leverage in their business is figuring out how to turn those single buyers into repeat buyers. So that generally happens within the first 90 days within most e-commerce businesses, depending on obviously what you're selling. So this is where I would say a lot of our work at Market Monster is concentrated on now. It's finding out when people are most likely to buy again, what are the barriers that stop them from repurchasing and converting, and then trying to create strategy around pushing as many people forward within this window of opportunity, devising an effective strategy to capitalize on this period. So that's a bit of an overview of the philosophy and why we're so focused around it. And we've been and continue to experiment with a lot of strategies around this specific period. And you say that going all in the first 30 days is crucial to customer retention. But say I purchased, I'm a first-time buyer and I purchased this lip gloss online and I'm still waiting for my order. How do you work on, you know, convincing me to purchase again? Is it through customer service that follows right after? Is it education, you know, telling me more about the product that I'm going to get or the upsells that follow after? It's it's an interesting question, actually, and I've changed my tune a little bit on this because recently I was, and I still am a, a big advocate for the only way to get someone to repurchase is ultimately if they get value out of the product. So upsells, etc., don't really make sense, for example, until you've used the lipstick because yeah. until you see the results and the transformation and the desired outcome, from when you originally purchased it and what motivated you to buy, then there's no need to repurchase. However, right. there is a huge period of anticipation and heightened engagement during that initial 30 days from when you make the decision to buy the product to when buyer's remorse may kick in to when the product is in your hands. And my belief is that you should try and stimulate as much engagement and hype around this period. Because again, if you go back to the retention cohorts, you often see people decline in engagement post 30 days. So putting as much effort into that experience and trying to engage the customer is critical. And we can go into various strategies to do that. You mentioned a couple of them, but Ultimately, my thinking is that you just have to create a really special experience with a lot of touch points around these first 30 days for most brands. Otherwise, the opportunity doesn't necessarily go or it decreases in terms of effectiveness because people unsubscribe, they become less interested. A lot of people don't actually use the products that they order as well. So that time to value and heightened engagement is critical to capitalize on, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's right. That makes sense. I'm just curious. So during the first 30 days, they're also unhappy customers, right? They do return the product. 
in your experience, have you had a strategy that worked of winning them back, even if they weren't very successful or very happy with their first purchase? No, I think if someone's unhappy with the product, then you just have to do the decent thing and try and make it right, whether it is the product was malfunctioned, it didn't work, there was a defect, you didn't like it, then you can't really make someone repurchase when they're in that mindset. You just have to show that you have integrity and you're trustworthy and do the right thing. So I think customer service is the best solution to dealing with people who are unhappy after the first purchase and understanding that maybe your objective needs to change as well. If someone is unhappy, then it's about reputation management and damage control, not necessarily repurchasing. If you can do that first, then you'll have an opportunity to drive a repeat sale. Right, right. And I'm going to go to my other question here, because you mentioned that while anticipating your product, you can make that experience more fun and engaging with the customers. And in one of your live events, which I attended, you mentioned leveraging transactional emails, which are usually, they're pretty boring. Like, you know, the shipping is out, expect it in this day, it's going to be delivered at your door soon. Why would you say that this is like a good opportunity to engage with them, with your customer? Well, I think if you go back to the initial period where the customer makes the transaction, you do have an element of buyer's remorse kick in. And that's not necessarily because people regret their decision and think they've done the wrong thing, but they just have doubts. And the way to alleviate alleviate those doubts is by communicating clearly on the expectations And that's why transactional emails are so effective in helping that customer service element, but surprisingly driving a lot of repeat sales as well. Because if you're able to change someone's mindset from doubt to excitement, then you can flip that subtle switch that takes them out of fear back to a place where they have confidence again in their decision-making. And ultimately what we've just found is that I don't know why, but if people are able to see the order updates and they're redirected to the website and a lot of traffic goes back and you have this dedicated tracking page, people mm-hmm. will go into your store again and they'll shop and they will buy things. So if you're able to provide a really great experience and transactional emails sound simplistic, but they do because they communicate expectations, then you have an opportunity to capitalize on that increased momentum and traffic going back to your website. So you should absolutely try to do so. Wanted to point out two things that you mentioned there, buyer's remorse. I guess it's really a thing that when you paid your, you put on your credit card there, you suddenly feel like, oh, did I make the right choice? Is it too expensive for this purchase? And one way to appease that is through being transparent, which is what's happening, even if it's just like updating where the order is, if it's still in the warehouse. So I think that's really great. In terms of this transactional, let's call it journey, is this also a good time to collect or to invite customers to subscribe to your SMS? Or does that usually happen prior yeah i think it is it absolutely is i think i'm an advocate of having unique benefits to each retention channel so whether it's email sms whatsapp 
push notifications if you have a mobile app, then you should have some type of specific benefit in an ideal world to each channel. And that will incentivize the maximum amount of signups. But to answer your question, yes, definitely I would have it as a goal to try and increase SMS signups within that initial transactional period because people have heightened engagement and you want to proactively build your retention channels in tandem. And I think this is a big mistake that a lot of people make is that they think, well, we'll just email them because we have a great email program. But after that first email goes out, you're losing the ability to communicate with 50% of customers. And you know that's just what the data says is that if you get 50% open rate, well, that's amazing because that's one in two people, but you're still missing out in one in two people. And as you go over those 30 days, it ties back into the whole theory is that engagement is going to go down. So you need people on actively subscribed on other channels to be able to communicate with them and drive those repeat sales. So yes, I think it's a good idea. It just has to be done tactfully within the constraints of all these other objectives that you're trying to achieve. Right. So I get my transactional emails and finally I receive my product, my lip gloss. And then you mentioned that the next post post customer journey experience, it's important to gamify it or I guess to make it interactive. Why is it important to make this engaging for the customer? You know, I just, I got my product. What do you mean by gamifying this experience? Yeah, I think it goes back ultimately to the time to value. So there's a few ways to think about this, but a couple of the main strategies that we've pursued is number one, making sure the customer uses the product and gets the most out of it. For example, in the lipstick example, you want to, I would want to encourage you to use the lipstick, to take image pictures, to submit them to us, to join transformation mm-hmm. type of social proof elements on the website. So you can set some type of challenge around this, like, you know, 30 day lipstick transformation, whatever. Yeah. Or if you're selling mm-hmm. cosmetics, you can encourage people to stay the course and use the product and document the progress. So I think the challenge mm-hmm. is, is one very, very good strategy that will make it very engaging. So rather than it being, oh, you know, great lipstick, I'll put it on and then it's finished. It's like, well, use it every mm-hmm. single day. Pay attention to your results, your outfits that you're wearing. Like, Here's some different looks. This is a, a great way to build stickiness into the product. And I think the second one is gamifying it is a great way to send a lot of traffic back to the website during, again, this period of heightened engagement. So you can run a quiz. You can run like very creative competition-based emails, essentially asks them to click on buttons to go back to the website where you can educate them on the products or just provide fun experiences. And then as a byproduct of them being on the website, a lot of times they will just go browsing and shopping and buying new stuff. Again. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not so formulaic in the sense of I have a very specific strategy that works for every business. I think it's just common sense to focus on providing an optimized period of engagement and fun. And that will hopefully lead to more sales as a byproduct of that. 
Right. And it's also excellent source for user-generated content that you can use on your website, your social campaigns, your email, and, you know, repurpose that over and over again. And then another thing that I noticed, I always enjoy whenever you guys release a case study, it's it's always so well-designed and all that. I noticed that these post-purchase emails are very well-designed and they're almost always clickable, like with the, with the quizzes and all that. So are you saying that for emails, it has to be the, the best practice now is to make those engaging or interactive, make them clickable so you drive traffic back to your site? I think that's a very good point and good call-out because I didn't used to emphasize this so heavily, but when the Apple mail privacy protection thing picked up, I think it became more important because my theory before was, well, actually, I'm not saying, you know, you should ignore click-throughs, but if you can provide value in the body of the email itself, then why not do that? Because you're you're in the customer's like native medium, They're they're consuming the content on email, So just give them the content on email. You don't have to send them to your website. If anything, it Mm -hmm. adds a bit of friction into the process. Now we're at a point where you can damage your deliverability by assuming that someone's engaged because you have all these false opens. If you Mm -hmm. just provide the content in the body of the email, theoretically, it sounds like the right thing to do, but... I think the brand has to have a bridge between their goals and what provides a good customer experience as well. And this is where you can't rely on these old engagement metrics anymore, such as opens. So clicks Mm -hmm. are a pretty safe bet. And also you do need traffic back to the website as well. So clicks are a great way to determine engagement. They're also a great way to send more customers back to your website and get them shopping again and as long as the content is good quality on the website, the customer will follow you there, they'll consume it, and hopefully they'll buy again. Right. And as long as you're providing value. And I have to make a plug that I remember last year, our first episode was talking about email marketing in a privacy first world. And it was like, I guess, Apple app tracking update was just released. So you guys should listen to that episode as well. That's episode 57. Great. I also want to mention that you have an awesome newsletter. There are so many case studies and strategies that I think happen every, they they get released every Thursday. So you should also make sure to subscribe there. Before I close the episode, Adam, I have like this very quick lightning round questions. Just say yes or no. Would you say it's a must now to add CTAs to every email, call to action to every email? No. Just no. Okay. I want to make a follow-up, but I'll keep this a lightning round, like I promise. What about stylized versus plain text email? Which is better? Both. Both. Okay. I'll accept that. Okay. This last one might merit its own episode and I'll allow you to kind of elaborate your answer here. Would you use an AI tool to write emails? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm curious. I've seen, I think it was Allison, where it writes your product page and at the same time, it can write an email. And when you say yes, would you use it completely? Would you edit it? Like, have you tried it? I think I'm at the same stage with everyone else where you cannot fight the technology. 
it's here to stay. So it's a case of how do you utilize it to serve the business best and also the customer. And I think it's just so sophisticated right now already. And, you know, really just at the beginning of it, which is frightening that Mm -hmm. I care about business outcomes and ultimately customer outcomes. And if the AI tool can write copy better than a human-based copywriter, then why not use the AI tool? Interesting, interesting. When I saw it, I was like shocked that it was so good. Like when you say casual and it kind of sounds like the tone of voice on the product page. So cool. That's all my questions for this lightning round, Adam. I think it's a good place for us to close the episode. Do you have anything to promote? Any events, webinars? Yeah, no, I appreciate you calling out the newsletter. I think that's the main thing for us. So marketmonster.co.uk slash newsletter. And every Thursday, as you said, we release a new strategy mm-hmm. that we have with clients. So if anyone wants to learn more, sign up there and we maintain that cadence every week. That is so comprehensive. All the strategies are there. Plus, again, I'm going to call out because I love seeing the case studies on LinkedIn. That's, I think, a weekly thing also that happens. So check that. Follow the Magnet Monster LinkedIn page. Where can people connect with you? You already mentioned your website. How about on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn, just search for Adam Kitchen and Twitter. I'm quite active on now, Adam K underscore MM. And even on YouTube, you know, we're really active there. So just search for Magnet Monster and you'll find me on one of those channels. Great, Adam. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing your retention strategies. I enjoyed it and learned a lot. And if you guys found value in this episode, definitely connect with Adam and subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you all next week.